cleanse, come as the fire and burn, come as the tie and bind, convict, convert, consecrate, until we are holy thine. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Ready or not, here we are. Summer's here. You can tell, right? I'm going to concentrate on the Old Testament reading and the Gospel reading this morning. The Old Testament reading from 1 Kings is a part of the Elijah saga. The Gospel passages from Luke's Gospel and describes one of the healing stories. Elijah and the Gerasene demoniac are two important stories that intend to shatter some of our common misunderstandings around the nature of God and the nature of healing. Elijah is on top of Mount Horeb, which is another name for Sinai. This is the very mountain that Moses would climb to communicate with God during the wilderness journey to the promised land. The mountaintop would be shrouded in smoke and fire. And there he would receive the commandments. Elijah, who is hiding for fear of his life from Ahab and Jezebel, is told by God to stand on the top of the mountain. A strong wind rips the mountain to pieces. But God, we are told, is not in the wind. Then there is an earthquake. But we are told, God is not in the earthquake. Then fire. But once again, God is not in the fire. Finally, there is the still small voice in the silence. And Elijah wraps his face in his mantle, knowing that the God, the almighty God of the exodus, of the plagues, and of creation is in that still, small voice. This is meant to be startling news. And if we are willing to admit it, we're still startled that God can be found in so small and still and quiet. This should be a signal to us that all of our preconceived notions about God will always fall short and be incomplete. Yet, how we think about God in relation to health and healing is also fraught with misconceptions. From long before the time of Jesus, clear through to today, it has been believed that being holy is a guarantee for good health, right? And bad health and illness always implies spiritual shortcomings. Do you believe that? We also want to believe that if we were fully at one with God, our lives might become lives of bliss and happiness and love and enlightenment because God is love and happiness and all that other stuff. If you listen to some of the religious shows on TV, you'll also hear claims about wealth, right? I wouldn't believe that either. Somebody's getting rich there, though. Despite the historic facts that Buddha died of food poisoning and St. Bernadette of Lourdes died young of bone cancer 
and that even our Lord suffered a death upon a cross, enduring unimaginable pain and suffering. We hold these common misconceptions close to us. Yet many spiritual traditions maintain that God is unknowable and undefinable. Attaching any attribute or characteristic to the infinite excludes its opposite, immediately violating the wholeness and completeness of God, outside of which nothing can exist. Among the spiritual geniuses who took the position that God is not just the good things, such as health, bliss, happiness, and pleasure, was the 13th century German Christian mystic Meister Eckhart. He wrote, some people want to recognize God only in some pleasant enlightenment. And then they get pleasure and enlightenment, but they don't get God. Nevertheless, as in the gospel story about the blind man in the ninth chapter of John's gospel, we often want to know who or what is responsible for people's illnesses and their diseases. Why do things go wrong? Is the man himself responsible? Are his parents? Jesus answers when he's questioned. Neither the man nor his parents have sinned, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That is, no one fell short, no one sinned, no one chose to end up like that. You never intend to get a cold, do you? Nor did God make man blind so as to do some mighty work God does not give us as much as we can handle, we're told. But rather, there is some higher purpose we cannot grasp. A warning against equating spiritual and physical or mental health and a caution against attributing shallow superficial meaning to illness. Illness, mysteriously, can be a time when perhaps we are more open to letting God into our lives because we lack control of it ourselves. Despite 2,000 years of this story in the canon of Western civilization, it's not clear that we believe this or understand it at all. Today we have before us the story of the man in the country of the Gerasenes. That's Gentile country. It's over there on the other sea of, side of the Sea of Galilee. And we meet a man who has demons, lots of demons. Today we might say he was manic depressive or bipolar or schizophrenic. The townspeople have chained this man naked in the tombs outside the city. He lives naked among the dead instead of clothed and living among the living. Just as Jesus has taken his ministry beyond the boundaries of his own people, this man this Gentile 
is made to live outside the boundaries of human society because of his mental illness. Now we might think of this treatment of this man as somewhat primitive and even cruel, but a visit to or even a drive through <coughs> state mental facilities or mental health facilities and a visit to our cities downtown where we find cardboard boxes on the edges of our communities and under freeways and near the uh, railroad embankments across the country reveals that we have, in, in fact, not advanced too far in all our treatment of middle, the ill in our society. In fact, we've turned a blind eye to it. Even those people who successfully manage their mental illness with the help of a variety of drug or talk therapies are routinely stigmatized and excluded and feared by our society at large. And in the workplace, in particular, they let, if they let their condition be known. Along comes Jesus. On the lake while crossing over, a storm threatens the boat. Jesus stops the wind. The disciples respond with fear, speculating over who this Jesus might really be, who has such power, who is expressing it, and for what purpose. It seems significant after such a harrowing journey, Jesus immediately says, here is the person who is so dangerous, he has to be chained naked in the tombs. Let's go spend some time with him and his demons. After a brief negotiation with the demons, Jesus curiously does not destroy them but rather acquiesces to their request to find a new home in a uh, herd of nearby pigs. No doubt this puts a serious dent in the pork belly futures for the people of this town as the pigs go headfirst into the sea. The swine herds, now unemployed, alert the townspeople who arrived to find the man, now fully clothed and in his right mind. They're afraid, we're told. So afraid that they asked Jesus to leave, all because the man now looks and acts more like them. Similarly, the man wants out. He wants to follow Jesus. Sounds like a good thing to do. He does not want to go back to his town. And who could blame him? But Jesus instructs him to go back and live among the very people who prefer to have him chained and out of his mind rather than healed, whole, and free. Before they felt that they had him under control. Now he is free to live among them and tell his story. The story Jesus asked him to tell is about how much God has done for him in his illness. It's not too far-fetched to conclude that for this man, 
who has lived outside the boundaries of human society during the time of his illness. The opportunity to help tell his story and communicate with neighbors and family might be seen as a completion of his healing and restoration to humanity. Note the last detail. It says, so he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus had asked him to talk about what God had done for him. That is, Jesus does not presume to have done anything. Jesus sees himself as a conduit, a doorway to God. The man sees God in Jesus. Or that Jesus is God. Echoing our story about the still small's voice and the surprising places and circumstances in which God can be experienced and found. We might do well to reflect a little on the details of our stories. Or at least on the details of what are missing in our stories. God is not found in the synagogue, the church, or in worship. God is not in the words of Holy Scripture. God's not found in prayer or meditation. God is not found in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire. God's not found in the creeds or the doctrines. We also might want to rethink what it means to be really healed. The man is still the man. People still fear him. Life is not made much easier for him. He will still be viewed with suspicion, but he's clothed and in his right mind. His mind, whatever mind is right for him, not the mind we or others think he ought to have. All of this is true because he can see the divine, the absolute, the infinite, that lives in and through Jesus. All this is true because Jesus can see the divine, the absolute, the infinite, that lives in him. Once we begin to seriously rethink how we treat and relate to those who live with mental illness in our society, we might begin to hear the voice of God and experience the kind of healing and blessing we all want to know. One of the problems in our county is indigent medical care. UTMB no longer is handling indigent care. Did you know that? Most of the homeless in our communities and others in the Houston area are homeless because of their mental illnesses, or they're unemployable because they've been incarcerated and cannot find a job. They've been stigmatized. Many of those who have been incarcerated are in that situation because of mental illness. Sometimes it's drug abuse. Sometimes it's deeper. In talking with Eric Law yesterday at the meeting at Holy Trinity in downtown Houston, 
we were challenged to, challenged to seek problems in our communities for which we could purpose solutions. If we can purpose a solution, perhaps a mental health clinic or hospital, we can begin to form a working group which would seek funding, build a facility to meet the needs of our part of the county. Think about it. There's opportunity there. Is God calling us to make a difference or to let problems continue? I challenge you to think about and pray about how we can make a difference. Last night after I had finished everything that I thought this sermon needed. I looked at my emails. Always a dangerous thing to do, right? And um, Bishop Doyle sent an email out later this week, and I want to read it to you. I think it's relevant. In the modern history of mass shootings in America, Orlando is the deadliest. Hate engendered violence, leading to more hatred. This shooting, its shooter and victims, will be politically used to create more hate and will lead to more violence. The shooting is caused by hate for those who are different, and it will expand hatred for still others. Availability of weapons that can cause this level will be def defended due to the hate, all of which is unjustifiable. We live in a nation that pretends civility and Christian values while rejecting the core and central tenets of Christian faith. Love God and love neighbor and help create a peaceful kingdom. We live in a country that is revealing its underbelly of death, hate, and love of violence. I pray for the victims of hatred. I pray for those who fear and hate it to inspire further violence toward others. I pray for our country. <clears throat> our Texas Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick or a staff member on his behalf posted a piece in the wake of the shootings. It is from Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He now states it is a mistake and planned before the shooting. It was taken down. Maybe it was taken down because it was in poor taste and timing. The shooter is now believed to be a radical terrorist of ISIS. The shooter was on a watch list, but able to purchase an assault rifle 
because of our sad state of gun laws in the U.S. The internet is already full of unchristian, disrespectful, and horrific responses supporting the shooting and demonizing Islam. The reality is that we in this country are responsible for creating a place where hate speech is glorified, unnecessary weapons of mass destruction are freely accessible, and violence is cheered. Yes, America, we are reaping what we sow. Violence and hatred shall beget only more violence and hatred. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. The Right Reverend C. Andrew Doyle. I think as the week progressed, it became clear that this was an individual who did this, who was more than ill, filled with hate. What will you choose? <laughs>